Everybody turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and I want to look at verse 2. Um, uh, if you guys would like to read uh, ahead and after, that would be great. Um, but for the sake of this sermon today, I just want to read verse 2. Um, I want to share with you something that will take me a few weeks to develop. And so, uh, in all reality, today is a bit of an introduction, and it's going to take me several weeks to develop, so just stick in there with me. Really, what I'm trying to do in the next four weeks is I want to unpack what I've been preaching for eight years and do a little bit of a cliff note version on what I am trying to uh, get our, all of our hearts uh, to understand. We're not going to get it right away. Uh, you got to hear the conclusion of this four-week series to understand the whole matter. So give me just a few moments to develop it, and, um, and as the Bible says, he that has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So listen to what the evangelist Luke writes in chapter 10. Now, he's probably quoting words spoken by another apostle, if in all likelihood, because the same text is actually used in the Gospel of Matthew in the ninth chapter. But Luke chapter 10, verse 2 says this, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, this is what our prayer should be, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me summarize it this way. The harvest truly is ripe. The problem is not with the harvest. The problem is with the laborers. And this is what the church should be praying The church should be praying that God would send forth laborers that are able to identify a ripe harvest and are able to gather it for God. Sometimes what we hear is new, but it is not new. It's new to us. There's nothing new under the sun. What God is speaking today, He's always spoken because it's new to you doesn't mean it's new. Because you've never heard it doesn't mean it's not God. If you've heard it, it's not revelation. It's revelation because you haven't heard it. It's revelation because you didn't know it. So everything is not confirmation. Some stuff is revelation. And it frustrates me because we have a generation of people who believe that God is only confirming what He has already spoken. And they have closed themselves off to a fresh word. They have closed themselves to God speaking. They've closed themselves to God continuing to declare. They've closed themselves off from having ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I want you to know that the Spirit is speaking to you. And I'll say this while I'm on the subject. The Bible says in the last days there will be a famine. But it will not be for bread or water, but it will be for the hearing of the word of God. Not for the preaching of God's word. There is no shortage of preaching. There is a shortage of folks listening. So the Bible says, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. The Bible says in the Gospel of John in the 12th chapter, if you have a grain of wheat 
the hour cometh that the Son of Man shall be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a grain of wheat abide alone, produces nothing. But if it die and be planted, it shall produce much fruit. Several verses later, Jesus goes on to say, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. The thing he said signifies his death. He is establishing a spiritual principle here. And here it is. Now, now is the hour that the Son of Man shall be glorified. See, what you call glory and what he calls glory are two different dimensions of glory. For us, glory is fame. For us, glory is recognition. For us, glory is being noticed and being seen. For him, glory was death. Many of us are not willing to pick up our cross and follow him. Many of us are not willing to be seen less. Many of us are not willing to be forsaken for the sake of God being noticed. Many of us are not willing to lay our life down as Christ laid his life down. God has called us to not just rest on our laurels and trust in what Jesus did, but Jesus then calls us to do what he did, and he wants us to die to ourselves that there may be a harvest worth reaping. He goes on to say, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The lifting up that he's talking about is not our praise and worship services where we raise our hands and lift our voices and lift our hearts. The lifting up he's talking about is not what we do until the preacher gets up. It's not the amens we shout when the preacher is preaching. The lifting up he's talking about is his death. It is not we It is not what we do that draws men. It is what he does that draws men. See, if we lift him up, he will draw. Every choice you make in your life, everything you say, every thought you think, you lift something up. You spend hours in your day lifting up things, putting prioritizing things, putting value on things. He said, if you lift me up, I will draw all men to myself. See, the reality is here at this church, we don't care if you like what's being sung. We don't care if you like what's being preached. We aren't singing for you. We aren't preaching for you. We are lifting him up. I'm not here to lift you up. The worship's not here to lift you up and raise your spirits. We were called to lift and exalt the name of Jesus. It is not about your emotions. It is not about your goosebumps. It is not about your feelings. It is not about how you feel. We are here to lift Christ up. And sometimes when we lift him up, it makes us uncomfortable. There is a hymn sung in the ancient church that says, Holy art thou God. Holy art thou almighty. Holy art thou immortal one. In other words, Kadier eleison. Kadier in the Greek does not mean to have mercy in the way we think. Eleison actually comes from a Greek root word that means oil. 
that means something on the inside that springs out to the outside. I want you to know that the mercy of God is not something that emotionally that he feels to you. It is not pity that he sends down to his to his children, but it is something on the inside of you that he has put deep down that needs to spring out from the inside and come to the outside. We translate it to have mercy, and we think that it is pity, but its literal meaning is of Kedier Eleison, means Lord, empower me. See, what you call mercy is not God having pity, but rather it is God empowering you to live a life worthy of the calling that he's called you to. It says in the Bible that Jesus was a divine seed. The Bible says in Galatians that God promised Abraham that he would bless that seed. Not as many seeds, plural, but as of Christ. It says that Jesus is a divine seed. The Bible says in Galatians that God promised Abraham that he would bless the seed, not as of many seeds, plural, but as of Christ. So God never said, I will bless your children, but rather I will bless the Christ that is in you, Abraham. It was Christ all along. It was Christ that God was looking for all along. And through the people of Israel, God raised up a Christ who was in Abraham and a seed in Abraham. And it was that seed that God chose to bless. That is why God does not only bless Israel today, but he blesses everyone that bears the seed of Christ. He blesses wherever the seed is. He has a special affinity for Israel, but God honors the seed. He does not honor his affinity. God is not obligated to bless who he likes. He blesses purpose. And in a world where we're speaking a lot about how to discover your purpose, I came here this morning to say your, your life will only have purpose if you bear the seed of Christ. Because purpose is given to those who bear the seed. His purpose was Christ all along. His purpose is not what you do. His purpose is not how you look. His purpose is not your gifting. His purpose is not your calling. His purpose is Christ all along. And regardless of what you do, he's trying to make that purpose, which is like oil put down in you, spring up, that when people see your life, they see him. They see Christ high and lifted up in your life. And when people don't see you anymore, they see what God's purpose was all along. God does not build purpose around people. He builds purpose around his seed. And his seed is Christ. The, the reason why our world is so confused about what God's purpose is is because many people, when they look at churches and believers, they don't see God's purpose lifted up. It is hidden behind flesh. It is hidden behind our desires and our wants. And God has called us to lift him up because people will be drawn 
to purpose. So Jesus was a divine seed and he had to find a soil to be planted in that would receive him. You see, it's not enough that a seed have life all in itself, all the potential in it itself. It can't produce a plant. It can't produce fruit until it is planted in a soil that can contain it. He came to his own, it says in the Bible, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he became the power. He gave the power to become the sons of God. So in other words, God is looking for a soil or a dirt to plant his seed in. That's why the first Adam was made out of the dust of the ground. Because God knew I'm going to plant a seed in this dirt. That's why before God made Adam, he established a principle. A principle that would affect how we live life and our purpose. And how that purpose is made manifest to the world. He said every tree and herb will, would all make seed and it would produce after its own kind. In other words, an orange tree will never make an apple. And a mango tree will never make a papaya. And an apple tree will never produce bananas. Every tree would produce according to its kind. So God makes us out of the dust of the earth. And he says, I'm going to put a seed in you for all who believe. And that seed I put in you, I'm going to get that seed out of you. The seed he plants in us is the seed called Christ. Because if he plants it in us, listen to me this morning, he will get it out of us. That's why it says the word will not return to him void. It will not return to him different than it was sown in. That's why when you can, you can evaluate what seed people have in their life because what they produce communicates the seed that is in them. And God is trying to produce who he is. And then when people look at us, they are not confused about the seed in our life. That's why he said the serpent will crawl on his belly and eat the dust of the earth. As long as you are living after the flesh, Satan has a legal right to devour you. You can sling oil, you can sprinkle water, you can pray, you can have intercessors, you can sing worship songs for hours on end, you can get people to pray for you, but if you're feeding the serpent with your fleshly desires, he isn't leaving. The only way you can get rid of the enemy out of your life is to stop feeding him. It is to stop living according to your fleshly desires so that the seed may be lifted up. A lot of the stuff we're dealing with in the church, we bring on ourselves Because we keep finding and, and feeding the appetites of the flesh instead of longing for the things of the spirit. The reality is we, we, we feed the appetites of the flesh and we're not longing for the things of the spirit. We wake up in the morning and we feed the appetites of the flesh. We don't long for the things of the spirit. We have replaced spirituality with culture. And the church merely fulfills, when they come to church, a moral obligation 
and it is void of spiritual longing. It is time that the church stop just fulfilling a moral obligation by coming and reading the Bible and praying and singing worship songs. It's a moral obligation void of spiritual longing. But that we would wake up in the morning early before church and come longing to encounter him. The reality is on Facebook, half you probably logged on when the worship was over. Because you don't long for God. It's an obligation to come and to discover Him and to hear Him and to encounter Him. It's an obligation. And God is calling us to more. He says, I want you to have a spiritual longing that you are waiting before the service starts. A spiritual longing that you can't wait to grab the Bible in the morning when you wake up. A spiritual longing that moves us into the spiritual things of God and out of the culture of this world. God is calling us to more. We pick churches that meet our fleshly need, but not our spiritual need. We look for places that will entertain us, but not feed us. So we are anorexic in a church dying, but we're having a good time in the process. God is the reason we are here. We have become seeker sensitive, but not spirit sensitive. We have quenched the spirit to make people comfortable rather than making people uncomfortable to get God in the house. It says in the Bible that he came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave the power to become like him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 that we have this treasure in earthen vessel. Where is the treasure of God? It's an earthen vessel. Where is the secret of God, the mysteries of God? It's in earthen vessels. Where is the holy place where God dwells? It is in the hearts of men. And there's a world desperately in need of seeing this hope that is the seed of Christ in your life. 1 Corinthians tells us that as we are born in the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. And that's the struggle today. That at the same time we bear the image of the heavenly, we also are born into the image of the earthly. And the more that We allow the image of the earthly to die the more that the image of the heavenly survives and is lifted up. Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 tells us Jesus is the expressed image of the Father. He is the expressed image of the invisible Father. God is not a man like us. He doesn't have a body like us. He is a spirit. He is the expressed image of the invisible Father. His human body was not the expressed image of the Father. Jesus' human body was not the expressed image of the Father. It says in the Bible that there was no beauty in the body that Christ possessed because the Bible says There was no beauty in him that he should be desired. 
one text calls Jesus but a worm. So what was it that he came to express, if not his earthly body? It was the divine nature of the Father. When he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he wasn't talking about his body. He wasn't talking about his earthly features. He was saying, when you've seen the things that I've done, when you've seen what I do, when you've seen the way I live, I'm leaving an example to you. When you've seen how I work out what is in me and how I live, you will see the Father. Let me ask you this question today. Do your children, when they engage you, do they see the Father? Would your husband or wife, when they engage you, do they see the Father? When people outside the church look at you, do they see the Father? Or do they see you bearing your earthly body? See, the reason faith without works is dead is because works proclaims the image of our Father. Attitudes proclaim the image of our Father. Gentleness proclaims the image of our Father. He says, when you've seen the way I live, you've seen the Father. Let me ask you this. When people see the way you live, do they see the Father? The problem with the church is we refuse to become like Him. Listen. I'm just trying to lay some groundwork for where I'm going in this text. And I know this is much of an introduction. But listen, I only have one message that I preach. I can preach it a thousand different ways. But I'm going to come back to saying the same thing. See, I've found the one thing I desire. And as we close this sermon today and as it prepares us for the next three weeks I want you to know this if your prayer life is longer than one thing it's too long until you find the one thing you desire as it says in Psalm until you find the one thing you desire and that will you seek after with all your heart you will never dwell in his house forever the only way to dwell in his house forever is you have to find the one thing that you desire. Not the two things, not the three things, not the four things, not the five things. The one thing you desire. The reality is here in the church, there are some people under the sound of my voice that are wrestling with do I desire how God's gifted me over God himself? 
We have placed so much value on spiritual giftings that we have forsaken the gift giver. The one thing I desire. Is he all to you? That's why, that's why Jesus talked about giving more than he talked about being saved. It's because finances has our heart. And the reality is, by the way, we are, our, our lack of being faithful to give unto God proves what we desire most in our life. And you can come and you can shout me down and you can shout the worship team down. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Let me, let me get off the finances. Let me get off with that. You can wake up on time to get yourself ready, to get your teeth brushed, to eat your breakfast, and get to work early. Every single day of the week. But you can't wake up early enough to be to this service this morning. On time. And let me tell you, that lets me know what you desire. It lets your kids know what you desire. It lets your spouse know what you desire. God is calling us to make Him all. Oh, it's challenging. See, it got quiet in here. It got quiet in here because there's no one in here, but it got quiet in here during that part. So I'm not trying to ridicule you because, listen, I can, on Facebook, I can see when you come into the service. Pops your names up. And the reality is, half y'all come late, and I know your names. Because you wanted to hit snooze four more times instead of making God your desire that morning. Oh, so we got to talk about this, right? But just pretend like this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Church of Corinth, except for it's the Church of Echo or the Church of Pleasant Hill. And I'm going to say, it doesn't make you terrible. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. But the question is, do you love him? Because he loves you in spite of the fact that you don't desire him above all things. How much must that break his heart? God is calling us to more. You know why there's... Few laborers is because there's few people in the, in the world who made him their number one desire. How can you labor until you're mature enough to labor? The reality is we have an immature and our prayer should be that God would send forth laborers but before he sends them forth, he has to raise them up. And some of you need to make him your desire. Some of you got to come up a little bit higher. Some of you got to reach to new dimensions of glory. Some of you have to lift God up so that he can draw all men to himself. You know what laborers are? Let me go ahead and give you a sneak peek into a portion of what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks, past this week. Laborers are this. It's people who live lives that in every facet of their life, they are lifting the Lord up in their life. And not themselves. You would be amazed. 
me included at times, you'd be amazed at the pastors who are not lifting God up, but are lifting themselves up. And your position and your title is not what qualifies you as a laborer for the kingdom of God. But it is a life that's willing to lift him up above ourselves. God's calling us to more. See, the harvest is not where the problem is. The laborers is where the problem is. I'm going to talk about this over the next four weeks, but we have to get to a place where we understand that the purpose is blessed and the purpose is the seed and the seed is Christ. And for all who believe in him and make him Lord, we shall be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will come as a seed into our life with hopes that as that seed hits our ground and as our life is cultivated under the word of God, under the preaching of his word, under the learning and in discipleship under his word, that as our ground is cultivated, that seed then begins to produce fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, and some other stuff. That's how we lift them up. It actually says this. It says that, that you be washed with the water of the word. Are you sitting under his word? Do you have the seed of Christ in your life? And do you understand that he's trying to get that seed to manifest and bear fruit in your life?